Each one of us as human beings have experiences along the way where we have choices of how we're going to be in that moment. Are we going to choose to be victimized by it or are we going to choose to be a new way? And it's not that one is right and the other one is wrong. But the thing is, I think we all have these really powerful, potent moments of choice in our life. A question asked courageously, answered honestly, and lived authentically can change your whole life. For me, that question was, how can I use what I have, what I love, and what I know to bless the lives of others? The School for Good Living and this podcast are one answer to that question. Hi, I'm Brian Miller. I know that the world can work for everyone, but that it won't until it works for you. I've created this to help you make the difference you were born to make. It's a series of conversations with thought leaders who are moving humanity forward. And in each episode, I explore their lives and the work they do. I also ask them to break down how they've gotten their books written, published, and read. This podcast is all about exploring the magic and mystery, and sometimes the misery, of the creative process. So if you have a mission, a message, and the motivation to share it, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the School for Good Living. Today, my guest is Darlene Green, author of, or maybe I should say scribe, of In Service to Love, a dynamic experience of consciousness, transformation, and enlightenment. This is really a three-part series with book one being Love Remembered, book two being Love Elevated, and book three being Love Now, all written or scribed or channeled over a 366-day period. Darlene describes herself as a highly sensitive person, an empath, a healer, and a teacher. She has pursued work and studies to delve deeper into the discovery of the sacred life. In 2017, Darlene experienced a car accident that left her with a traumatic brain injury. And a big part of what we talk about in this conversation is her healing journey, which is really in some ways the same journey we're all on, becoming whole again, becoming the best version of ourselves. She shares what she has learned and how she has overcome many challenges. You can learn more about Darlene and her work at DarleneGreenAuthor.com, D-A-R-L-E-N-E, GreenAuthor.com. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Darlene Green. Darlene, welcome to the School for Good Living. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here and speak with you today. I'm glad you're here. Darlene, will you tell me, please, what is life about? I love the big questions. I got to tell you, I love that. But for me, the big questions are often the most simple. So for me, life is about love. So when you take a look at love, I see humanity, I see us as as divine beings, and we descend into the density of humanity. And we experience our life here, we have soul growth here, and we find eventually, hopefully, I think ideally, we find our way back to our own truth, which is love. Mm. So it's love discovering itself. Beautiful perspective. When people ask who you are or what you do, How do you typically answer that question? Hmm. Well, my intention is to be as authentic as I possibly can. And so what I say now is different than what I would have said maybe years ago. So maybe years ago, I would have said that I was in sales and I was in marketing. And, but right now I say that who I am is a scribe Hmm. and I write from my connection with divine. 
Okay. And you've got plenty of evidence to substantiate that description, having not one, not two, but three books that are all part of In Service to Love, your latest work. Yes. Right? In yes. a pretty short order. Will you tell me, with this book, In Service to Love, A Dynamic Experience of Consciousness, Transformation, and Enlightenment, why did you write this book? Who did you write it for? And how did you want the world to be different because of it? You know, the interesting thing about this book is that I never I never fancied myself a writer. And I thought that I had a good turn of phrase every once in a while, and I enjoyed that. However, this is a body of work that came to me one day and requested to be written. What do you mean when you say that? How, like, yeah, that's a little that's a little strange <laughs> to be able for somebody to hear. So I've been a student of an avid student of spirituality for decades, and I've always felt a deep, deep calling. And I have a connection with angelic orders, with Jesus, with beings like that, which is kind of interesting and a unique perspective in and of itself. And then on December 26th of 2017, after a rather challenging year, I woke up and I had, I was surrounded and enveloped in an experience of love. Jesus was present with me, the Archangelic Orders, the Elohim. I mean, it was a sea of white light and a sea of love. And the words that rang through my whole being were, were 365 be the light, 365 be the light. And I was almost lifted and carried over to my computer. And as I sat down, I was in this experience of exalted rapture is the only thing that I don't know how else I can describe it. And in my deepest, deepest, deepest knowing, I knew that this was the moment that I had always been waiting for in my life. And so as I sat down to my computer, words started pouring out of my fingers. And it was exquisitely beautiful. And the sense that I had was in the presence of this divine gathering that I could hardly even believe was occurring was this sense of this is this is my life's work and I didn't know what it was going to look like or what it was going to be or even if it was going to be a book I just knew I was having an extraordinary experience so I sat down every day and I would write and the words would would come to me and filter through me and then at times I was under the tutelage of masters and I would sit down and I would hear come find us here come find us over here and that was a fine tuning of my own sensitivity for frequency and I've been doing healing. I've been involved in the healing arts for a number of years before. So sensitive is who I am. Yeah, what were, by the way, on that, on that topic, just to explore that for a moment, what were some of the healing modalities that you have studied and practiced that, that were part of this when you talk about fine tuning? Na uh, natural force healing is a vibrational healing work. It's a beautiful body of work that I was introduced to in the early 90s. And it was such a profound experience for me that I, I knew that I 
But that was an expression that was a match for me. So I went to massage school and I learned how to be able to, and I started utilizing this vibrational healing body of work with people through body work. And I was working in a clinical setting to do that work. Mm. So it's a, it's a fine tuning, you know, but for years prior, I was seeing auras around people and seeing and angels and seeing, you know, hearing the music of the, of the universe, Jesus appearing in front of me. But I thought everybody did that. When did you first realize that that wasn't something that everybody did, that this is not a normal thing for, for most people? I'd say probably after these books came out. Wow. I, it's such a natural experience for me. It's like breathing that I, I guess I still get surprised. But the thing is that I think that people do have experiences to from from one extent or another, of but don't recognize or acknowledge it. Why do you think that is that people? Because I've seen this in my own coaching, not necessarily with people, you know, being present to or aware of you know, the, the presence of things like angelic uh, entities or, or fine, finer energies, but rather even things like people having things for which to be grateful in their lives, you know, or they'll have relationships, but feel lonely. So I've certainly seen this phenomenon that people, there are things around us that we're not always aware of for sure. Mm -hmm. But why do you think mm -hmm. it is that these are in, you know, people's, they're around us, but we don't always see them necessarily or we're not present to them well i believe you know my my belief comes from my comes from my experience that yeah. who we are are uh, divine beings that we are spiritual beings and we are human beings <laughs> at the <laughs> same time so you've heard the term something about living life as a human being having a spiritual experience versus being uh, living life as a spiritual being having a human experience yeah, but very different orientation, they're, they're right? Different orientations. And I lived my life, most of my life, as a human being having a spiritual experience. And then I began to realize through my own growth process that these profound moments that I was having are not like, wow, that that was a great experience. That kind of really made my day. Uh -huh. Instead, what I've learned is that, that really is who it is that we are. It's not something happening to me. It's who it is that I am being expressed and viewed in a new way. Yeah. So really, these events are not really a one-off. This is, these are really, I see them as breadcrumbs to who we already are. Yeah. And that's really when I stand back and I take a look at the body of work that is in service to love. It is the bridge between living our life as, as the human being having spiritual experiences and living our life as the spiritual being having a human experience. Mm -hmm. Completely different perspectives. Yeah. And so we all as human beings have these experiences of these moments that we can't describe that mm -hmm. are that maybe we just tuck away and say, you know, what was that? Or we don't have a frame of reference for it, so we put it on the back burner somehow. Yeah. But those, I believe, are really the truth of who we are. I, I think you're right. And I know that life is a process. And, you know, a teacher of mine once suggested that each of us wakes up whenever we wake up. That in some mm -hmm. ways, yes, we can study 
we can try, you know, different things, but enlightenment is potentially, you know, it's, it's available to all of us in every moment, but clearly <laughs> we don't all acknowledge or step into that. But I know life is a series of, it's a, it's a process. And I understand in, so you talked about your experience was December 26th of 20, of 20, I'm sorry, 17, 2017, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long before that, if I understand part of your story is that you survived a pretty serious automobile accident. Is that? Yeah, I did. How, how, if at all, does that factor into the course your life has taken and the events that have unfolded in recent years? Oh, that's a fascinating. That's a fascinating question that I still wonder wonder about. Understanding that there's no accidents, really, right? There's no accidents about the accident. So I I was rear-ended and I and I experienced a head injury, and am still dealing. Three years later, now I still deal with a lot of those issues. I have you know memory loss, difficulty reading. Uh, which is why I'm wearing these glasses. Anyway, a variety of, of other things that are very subtle and nuanced, but definitely impact my life. Prior to, prior to the accident, oh, okay, so after the accident, <clears throat> that was a turning point. And so I was really struggling with my experience of being broken. Mm. When did the accident occur? February 16th of 2017. Okay. And so I was really struggling, you know, because the more that I went through different therapies, I saw really what was what was no longer functioning in a way that I had known it to be. And I was struggling with being broken. And yet all of the years of study that I have had, all of my years of experience brought me to the place of there is something else here to see, Darlene. There's something else here to see. And I refuse to live my life from the perspective of being a victim. That is mm. not who I am. Mm. And so I choose, and it was a year really of choosing powerfully who I am in the face of having had that experience. So I, that's my experience. But I think that each one of us, each one of us as human beings have experiences along the way where we have choices of how we're going to be in that moment. Yeah. Are we going to choose to be victimized by it or are we going to choose to be a new way? And it's yeah. not that one is right and the other one is wrong. But the thing is, I think we all have these really powerful, potent moments of choice in our life. Yeah, and I had sure. really struggled with that. And then December, Christmas is always a real, you know, the holiday, you know, that's a real spiritual, deep, sacred time for me. Not that it's connected with the religion, but it's, I guess it is, but with my own sense of connection. And I ask, may the, may the, every Christmas Eve, I ask, may the Christ at heart, please be born within me. I mean, it's a powerful time for me. And then December 26th, I woke up to the experience where in service to love invited me. That sounds like a pretty immediate and pretty powerful response to that prayer. You know, and I didn't realize I didn't put those pieces together until like about, you know, six or seven months afterwards. It's like, wow. wow. And then you mentioned that this was, so this 365 be the light, was that what you said? 365 be the light, 365 be the light. What did you then, take that to mean? 
in one year, you can have the experience of being light. And then you mentioned that you started writing every day or scribing <laughs> as you described Correct. it. So mm -hmm. this was, I heard you say that before you were in sales. So mm -hmm. what was your relationship like to writing before? Was this a total, you know, 180 or at least a 90 degree turn in your life that, you know, you'd been following one path, you had this accident, you made this, basically this prayer on Christmas. The next mm -hmm. day you get this powerful response. And then for a right. year you sat down and you wrote. So what was, what was writing like in your life prior to that? And then what was the transition from how you had been living to now scribing every single day? Wow. Writing in the past had been something that I required uh, some work and some focus, but I knew that what I came up with when I would go into the writing process, I liked it. I, I liked how it resonated with me, but there was, there was work to be done in that, mm -hmm. in the writing process for me. It's not as though it was easy, but I, I, I always liked the results that I came up with. I never thought about writing a book or considered myself an author or even thought about it. I knew that I was inspired by writers. It feels as though the light turned on for me in grade seven when we were studying, you know, Wordsworth and Bronte sisters. And I, I was, it, it lit something inside me. And so there was something that I had. I had a connection with writing, although it was work. So when the, I had an idea that I was, because I was in my spiritual process, mm -hmm. it was in 2015 that I, be, that I began to recognize that I am a scribe. How did you recognize, what was the moment that you started to really grasp that, like really get that? Well, it was in Southern France. I was on a retreat there with a wonderful woman by the name of Danielle Rama Hoffman, because her book had fallen off the shelf and landed at my feet. It's amazing how many times I've heard a version of that story. It's just incredible. You were at a bookstore and the book literally fell off the shelf. Yes, and landed wow. at my feet. Wow. And I had known, just, I had known since I was four years old, and I'm asking, why am I here? Uh -huh. That I had a counsel because the council answered me and I heard them. You're saying at four years old? At four years old. What was the faith tradition you grew up? What was the Lutheran. connection with spirituality like for your parents and for your family? Was this unusual for you to be asking that or was this really it like was, a it was normal for me, but there was yeah. nobody that was not a question that was ever asked or posed in our family. We were Lutheran and I remember going to church at four and five years old and I was listening to the pastor uh -huh. and I was thinking as a child, that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. Okay, I'll go to Sunday school, but that's not the whole story. If you want to tell that, that's fine. Clearly a seeker from a young age. Very and, young. And so you're in a bookstore. What, what bookstore was it? Where were you? I was at Barnes and Noble in Issaquah, Washington. Okay. And the name of the book of Danielle Rama Hoffman's book is The Council of Light. And did you, were you familiar with her or her work prior to this? No, wow. I was not. I've been actually studying a lot of the work of Esther Hicks and Abraham. I had a deep connection with that. And, and I was voracious student and, and reader. 
And so I was there looking for more Esther Hicks work, actually. And the book, Council of Light, fell off the shelf and landed at my feet. Now, when this, I looked down, <laughs> I looked down at the ground and I take a look at the name of this book. And I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt in that moment that that was my counsel speaking to me. Wow. I knew that I was at one of those pivotal choice, mo- choice points in life, that if I were to pick that book up, my life was going to be forever altered. And I said, yes. That's beautiful. So if I understand, you said even at this young age of like four, that you had a sense, like that you had a counsel. Yeah. How did you, how did you know then? It was, a, it was one of those things that I know that I know that I know. Four years old, I have a picture actually of the moment, like seconds after I had this awareness. It's right behind me here. Christmas with my twin sister beside me. I'm looking out the window of, of our house in, in Winnipeg, and I see the sun dancing off the diamonds of the snow. And I'm asking, why, why am I here? This is not a comfortable place to be because I'm, very, I'm so sensitive. The world that I was experiencing is so loud, so loud all the time. Ugh. So I would hide in the closet with my mom's fur coat because the world is so loud. So I'm asking on Christmas Day, why am I here? And this voice came as if, I mean, it's like your voice when I'm listening to it right now, right beside me. And I knew it was like the council. Hmm. To make people happy was the answer. And that, I guess, is all that I needed. And then there was times in my life that they would come forward. But there was no place in my life to be able to voice this inner awareness or express this inner awareness. It was just so I had the track of inner awareness. And then I had the surface of what life looked like. And I had three sisters, mom and dad. We had I had a great time. I had a lovely life lovely and but there's this deep sense of mission and of purpose that always 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 lived in my life even though i couldn't give it words oh the and when you say a deep sense of mission was that to make people happy or something more or different it was it was that to make people happy was felt as though that those were words that a four-year-old could understand yeah but for me, it was something that evolved that I knew that I was here for a purpose. And I and and that was really, really clear. And and, and in that in that part, I'm going to i I'm going to say, now even though my sensitivity may be turned up, mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest that each one of us has those experiences. That if you take a look, there's the track of life and what it looks like on the surface. And then there's the inner conversation that you have with yourself that may never make it to being vocalized. Yeah. Right? There's the understanding or a sensibility about who it is that you are in the world and who you are in your life. and, And that holds this larger picture that is beneath the veneer mm-hmm. of what surf of what life looks like and you see and you see what i'm I, i'm thinking that what this body of work does is that it invites us to take a look at that level of conversation that level of conversation i believe is our essential self that's speaking to us yeah yeah i can i can see that and i know i know that there's probably many times where that 
I like the way you described it, that there's a surface and then there's what's going on below the surface. And I realized, like, I think there's something, I'm interested to know how you see this, but I do have this sense that there is this essential self or the higher self or whatever we might call it. But there's also the inner critic, you know, this, that incessant, the little narrator, the little voice that is not necessarily the essence, but it's in there also. So there's this, Mm -hmm. the surface, but then almost at least two voices going on at any Mm -hmm. time. The essence that we could listen to if we were willing or we had the the sensitivity, but then also whatever we've maybe been conditioned, you know, what was approved and rewarded or punished, you know, and then that, that voice of our parents or our caregivers or our peer group also in some ways gets inside us. And so we've Mm -hmm. got this, maybe this competition of voices that are below whatever the surface is, Mm -hmm. but how do you, how do you see that? That is a beautiful distinction. That's a beautiful distinction. And what I see is that the voices is that the voice of that is the most still. Mm-hmm. The voice that is the most still is the one of the I am presence. The voice that is anything of love, judging, right and wrong comes from the comes from the experience of our humanity. It's funded by our physical experience. Mm-hmm. So you're right, we do have all of these other voices that occur and they create or subconscious, unconscious belief systems, mm-hmm. right? And we end up oftentimes in our human life living unco- from unconscious belief systems yeah. that, are, that are the expression of the judgment of the I am less than, not being worthy of, feeling separate. Feeling yeah. separate is a big thing. That's, that's a big deal. That's really been coming into my awareness an awful lot about how it is that we hold ourselves separate in the world as a natural extension of our, of our humanity. Well, there's the them and then there's the me. How, there's never really a we that we speak from. And I think that the evolutionary process we're going through right now globally is something that is intended to heal that. Yeah, I, I suspect you're right for sure. Well, and I'm curious with your journey as well, because I know this is, a, it happened in my life and I think it's very, very common in, in many people's lives is that when we're young, we often have a sense of clarity. Like life is simple in some ways. And a four-year-old might hear something like, you know, in response to why am I here to make people happy? And it's like, oh, okay. Like there's not, there's nothing particularly complicated about that. But then as we grow up and we start to learn about, you know, different social groups and brands and, you know, distinctions like careers and, you know, possessions and all this. Sometimes we forget. We forget what what was true for us or what we loved or were passionate about or whatever. And then in many cases, it seems to me that life is then, you know, life is always gently nudging us back awake to return to that kind of thing, whether it's an accident or a diagnosis or some other life event, a divorce or losing a job or something like that. So, with all that is a very long setup. I'm wondering if mm-hmm. that was also a pattern that happened in your life that in some way you quit listening to that and then return to it, or if it was present for you all along, the truth of that, you know, the council being with you, guiding you, you know, mm-hmm. you following, how did that happen for you? My, that, again, that's a, a, a beautiful nuanced distinction there. I think that the presence of the presence of the divine 
what I say now is my I am present or my own divinity guiding my life, <laughs> that has been present always. And now I look back and I see the perfection of each moment in my life and now how everything is like set me up for now. <laughs> but my awareness was, so when I see we talking about the experience of children and there's this natural proclivity for knowing. Uh-huh. Right. That that's when we're really attuned inwardly. That as we grow, we become taught to no longer be paying attention to what's happening internally, but we are externally referencing. And it's when we, we get into trouble with the external referencing, when we believe that our worth comes from outside of us, when we think that our value, that we who we are intrinsically is not of value right? But that we have to get value from outside of us, from other people. That really is, I think, a part of the, the beauty and the challenge of, of living, living as a human being, yeah. is our ability to be able to find our way back to that inner awareness, to be able to begin to gradually make the distinctions between what is it that occurs from inner referencing and what is it that occurs from external referencing. Yeah, and that yeah. I think that's the process of consciousness, where things that were hidden come up, where we get to be able to make new choices about them. And as we're able to make conscious choices of things, that is an incredibly potent and powerful creative moment or event in our life. Yeah. And I'm grateful to the way you phrased that because it gave me words for this, what I've observed, but haven't named about external referencing that when we're young, and I know it's natural for children to be very self-oriented and therefore to be internally referenced. But then we start to learn about other people and, oh yeah, they have needs and desires too. And you know, there's consequences to what I do on how it impacts them, which then relates back to me. But then as you're saying, you know, growing up, maturing, maybe becoming spiritually awakened is the sense of returning home in some way. And again, becoming internally referenced, but from a different sort of orientation, not a totally oblivious to what's out there, but with an awareness of what's out there, but still looking inside again. That's, that's really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Let me go back, if I may, to something you said about your, after your accident and you talked about, you know, dealing with this sense of brokenness and you were mm-hmm. choosing powerfully about who you were, right. through, you know, through that process. What did that choice look like? I realize there's probably a variety of ways, but will yeah. you give me a few examples of how did you make that choice in any given moment when you had the, the opportunity yeah. to do so? Well, after, not too long after the accident, I started to stutter. And that began a whole series of neurological tests and concerns and So I realized that I was having a difficult time finding words. I was losing not just memory or like, where did I put my glasses? But my husband would say, would have a conversation. He'd say, Darlene, we already had this conversation. It's like, no, we didn't. When did we have that? This morning. Wow. So these were things that were occurring in my life that had me feel that who I am in my life is completely different. And I didn't know how to be able to relate to it, but I saw awareness, my personality shifted where I became more internal. 
you know, dizzy, depth perception is is off. So I'm, it was like, I would go through my day and it's like, I would hit a moment like, oh, there it is. Like, oh, there it is. <laughs> Sounds like a song. But where I, or during my day, I was bumping into the limitations a number of times during my day where I realized that life was no longer the same. And I thought, how am I going to be, it scared me. And I thought, how am I going to be navigating my life now? And it was easy. I felt victimized. But then I had, as that kind of expanded and I'm I'm doing these different types of therapies, I realized the heaviness and the weight of being victimized is not who I am. And so it was like I had two, two ways of being in front of me victim or empowered choose and i even though i had no idea about what being empowered through that whole process was going to be looking like because previously i'd expect i'd had like an injury or something and then it heals mm-hmm. it, it heals and you kind of you know you go through the healing you do what you have to do and then you're kind of back in your life again but with a traumatic brain injury it wasn't that way so i had to deal with what does life what is life going to look like moving forward and i could go down the rat hole of things that i don't care care like care for mm-hmm. right or given who it is that i am who it is that i know myself to be living a life of being victimized is not who i am mm-hmm. So the choice point was I choose to not be a, I choose to not be a victim and I think that it was a process of it was a process that I went that I went through. Wow. And I still stand in that space. I still experience those things and I choose not to be victimized by them. So when you say you made the choice like you made this choice and it, you made it again and again, you know, as you are on this healing journey and mm-hmm. I know still are, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Is this a choice to see, you know, to choose your attitude in a moment? Did you, was there any kind of practice that would go with it when you would recognize that, you know, something like a visualization, a meditation, doing something else, some other kind of, some other kind of self-care or anything? I mean, because what I, what I suspect is that many people listening will have their own version of this. They might not have had a traumatic brain injury, but they might be in a difficult place emotionally, or maybe they have had some kind of physical injury. And and I'm wondering if if there's something practical that someone could go, oh, Darlene did that, and she seems to be doing pretty well, and you know that's worked for her, and I can adopt that same kind of thing. Was there any specific practice that might serve the listener? I think that there's a process by as I was holding the intention for my own wholeness. Mm-hmm. So you see, I can hold the experience of being broken, or I can hold the experience of my own wholeness. And then what comes up as I hold the intention for my own wholeness and my health and vitality and well-being, when I hold that as my intention every day, what is not in alignment with that will come into my awareness. And I will see where I have belief systems that that will come up as just flashes during the day. And and then as I, because I hold that intention, Mm -hmm. things will come into my awareness and I have an opportunity to be able to choose consciously, knowing the power, because of all of the work that I've done, I know the power of conscious choice. Yes, I have an opportunity to be victimized. Yes, I have an opportunity to be to hide. And I choose not to. I choose to follow my highest expression. 
I choose to be all that I am right here, right now. I understand that what has occurred for me is only a part of my expression. I choose my highest expression in every moment of every day. That's beautiful. And so, but each one of us will have our own version of that. Like, what is it that that brings you back to center? What brings you back back to back to your center? It was interesting as a part of that. Uh, what comes to me to share at the moment is that, um, as a part of my experience, the medical community is really. I was getting mixed messages from the medical community also as I'm going through these different treatment things, and I was really in a space of like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. And I went to a Brain Injury Alliance of Washington meeting one one day. And the woman that, and everybody there had had brain injuries of one, one extent or another. And I saw how fortunate I am and that I'm not in a wheelchair and that I don't need to have a full-time caregiver. Mm-hmm. Some of the people there did. And I was speaking with the, with the woman that led this group and she, and I was telling her about some of my concerns and, and she said, you know, Darlene, she said, what I have learned through this is that the only thing I can do is live from my essence. Wow. And I thought, thank you for that beautiful pearl. That is what I came here to hear. That's yeah. what I came here to hear. And so that has supported me in living from my essence. The other stuff, everything else we have choices about. Yeah. And we don't have to be victimized by our belief systems either, by the way. Yeah, but we often do. <laughs> we don't but have we to, but do. we often do. Yeah. But you see, I think that that's the process of an, uh, transformation and, and enlightenment and, and consciousness is this elevating of awareness. There's no mystery to this. There's no mystery to enlightenment because that's already who it is that we are. But it's the process of doing just what we're talking about, of discovering what gets in the way of that. What are the belief systems that I hold that don't allow me to see all of who I am? And then, and then when you start asking those questions, that, fascinatingly enough, will begin to come into your awareness. But you have to ask the questions first. Yeah. And I love what you've said, too, about when you hold an intention. So you can hold an intention for your wholeness. You can hold on to the sense of your brokenness, but in some way, if we're willing, either one, it's just a choice, which one we choose. And then once we do, as you've said, things will come into our awareness that are contrary to that, which will then have another choice, whether to believe those or act on those or to choose something else. And of course, these are things that occur, you know, many of them, I think just at the threshold of awareness, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm all often amazed. And I, I wonder if it's true that, you know, often quoted stat about we, you know, psychologists tell us we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, which probably, you know, and many of those are not like very fully formed, but they're these things that, you know, occur and we're often not aware of, but hearing you describe what your own healing journey has been like and how you've been able to make a lot of this conscious, you mm-hmm. know, and, and make these deliberate choices is, um, it's interesting to me, and, and I hope it's useful to people who are listening. So thank you for, for sharing that. May I just say one thing about one thing about that when you're talking about the cacophony of thoughts that we have, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that the thoughts that we have is they're, they're all frequency fields that we create from. So once we become more conscious of our thoughts, understanding that we're creating that, 
If I have a negative conversation about myself, not only am I not present, I'm not authentic, but I'm recreating that energy and that frequency. If I'm projecting my awareness into the future and creating a conversation that has never occurred, I have lost my potency and my presence in the moment. If I am going back to that moment of the accident or other issues or traumas or conversations or whatever in my life, I have lost my presence in the, in the, in the now moment. So I think that, that there is incredible value in beginning to get aware around, aware of where do I place my energy? Where, if my thoughts are how I create, I better be conscious of what the thoughts that I am having. And do I want to create that? Yeah, that's huge. And I remember reading something by Esther and, is it Jerry? Uh, yes. Esther and, 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 yeah. and Abraham. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah. And when, and I think something that she talked about was, you know, with the thoughts, if, if the things that we thought came about immediately, we'd be much more present to what we're creating. You know, if I thought yeah. something like, you know, I would love a beautiful garden. And I looked outside and all of a sudden there was a beautiful garden, you know, that we would, of course, we would all be more like careful and deliberate about what we allowed in our minds, you know, but because they often don't unfold, you know, instantly yet they still unfold, you know, it's easy to think, oh, you know, I'll allow this belief system or even this thought to persist in my life without ever really realizing, like you're saying, I love that description that you know, this cacophony of thoughts are the frequency fields from which we create. I think that's very true and becoming more intentional, you know, more aware and, and intentional about that really can shift our, our lives, but it can also be exhausting, right? It's almost like constant vigilance. <laughs> that's it. I was exhausted for the first numbers of months that I was doing this work because it required a hypervigilance. Yeah. Well, if you consider what's the other, what's the other end of hypervigilance? Comfort with unconsciousness. Yeah. Unconsciousness doesn't require me to be present in my life. Yeah. That's a phone it in. I'm phoning it in, sister. You know, yeah. if I'm just if I'm just like, eh, comfort, just leave it alone. I'm totally. not present in my life. My life doesn't need me to live it. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's ask- a part of the issues right now with what we're experiencing. It's like a normal. The we live in an experience now in the absence of normal. Yeah. Hallelujah is what I'm saying. Yeah, what a great pattern interrupt this has been for our society and each of us yeah. individually, yeah. as challenging as it is. It is challenging for sure. It's incredible opportunities, but it's a, it, but it's a uh, it's a challenge worth it's a challenge worth being in. Yeah, absolutely. Let me let me go back to what you touched on with Danielle Rama Hoffman, and you talked mm-hmm. about. So you're in this bookstore, book falls off the shelf. You look at it, incredible synchronicity. The next thing you know, you're in France. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be willing to share a bit about what that journey was like, how it changed you, what you learned? Sure. Danielle Rama Hoffman's work had a deep, deep resonance with me. And meaning that there's something, there's something here, there's something more for me here. Uh-huh. And so as I was reading her book, and she has a very Egyptian kind of connection with her body of work, but the frequency of her work is really beautiful, as is 
you know, Esther Hicks and, and, and Abraham. And, you know, you, you can, you can feel high frequency bodies of work because they will catalyze movement within you. Right. So that was my experience with Danielle's work. So what occurred was I began to have, as I was reading her book, I, it was the right thing at the right time for me. And I started to have consciousness downloads. And what that looks like is like experiences of like uh, visions where first one was I sat up in the middle of the night and something had my attention. I mean, I'm sitting up and the room is dark, but I close my eyes and it's brilliant white light. It's like, whoa. So I test that system a couple more times. It's like, whoa, brilliant white light when I have my eyes closed. Watch, 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 pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And so what I saw was this tablet, a stone tablet that had hieroglyphics on it. And I'm thinking, remember those, remember those images, remember those images, remember those images. This is so cool. What is happening? I don't understand this. And then what I saw was five beams of white light that came down onto this tablet and began to move all of these figures on the tablet. And that was one of the, that was one of the experiences that I had from this body of work of consciousness downloads. And I think that this is a period of time now that's a strange term. And if you're in, if you're connected with a lot of the spiritual work right now, you'll see that there's uh, many people that are experiencing consciousness downloads where there'll be like a full level of awareness that will come to you as opposed to requiring years of, you know, spending time in the Himalayas or something. Yeah. Right. It's like that was then and this is now. And our world is requiring a whole new level of consciousness in a very quick way. And so the access to and each one of us experience it in different ways. So consciousness will be available in new, you know, for each one of us in our own unique way. So to get back to your question. So I had this experience with Danielle and and then I uh, she was offering this trip to go to uh, to southern France, and it was called Scribe It. And even though I didn't see myself as a writer, I knew that I needed to be there. And I was on and off and on and off. And my husband said one day, he said, Darlene, he said, you really need to be there. And it's like, yeah, I really do. So I went. And we one of the sacred places we went to was St. Baume in southern France, which is where Mary Magdalene spent the last 30 years of her life. And my resonance with that location was extraordinary. So we, Danielle also is a channel. So at one point, Danielle and I found ourselves alone. Other people in our group had gone to different areas. We were up at the very top of St. Baume, and it was like the mists of Avalon. The mists from the Mediterranean were coming in up on top of this mountain. And the frequency, the, the experience and the richness of where it is that we were, I mean, it was clearly a sacred space. And the council that Danielle works with, they came through and they spoke with me. And what they said were, Darlene, my voice, your voice, our voice, one voice. And that was the pivotal moment. And so I began to study with Danielle how to be able to learn to distill frequency and light and consciousness into words. And it was first, it was really, really hard. Like think of like a car sputtering. Like, I think I can see this. I think I can feel 
but it was really a lot of work. It was a lot of work and a lot of intention. And so I came home and began began to practice that. And the body of work that was coming out was called the divine remembering. And then I had the car accident. Hmm. And then December 26th, three books, and there's two or three that are asking right now to be written as well. Amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. With your permission, I want to go ahead and transition us to the Enlightening Lightning Round. Yes. Will will that work for you? Yes, it does. Okay, perfect. So again, this is a series of questions on a variety of topics. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, my aim is to ask the question and stand aside. You're welcome to answer as long as you want. Okay. Okay. All right. First question. Please complete the following sentence with something other than a box of chocolates. Mm -hmm. Life is like a... An extraordinary expedition of discovery, of treasure, and adventure. Awesome. All right. You're doing great. Number two. Okay. (laughs) Here I'm borrowing Peter Thiel's famous question. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? The presence of our divine nature. Our divinity is something that requires a particular level of audacity, given the world that the world that we live in. So there's one thing I wanted to make a distinction of. When I first began working with the Council of Light, I asked them, how does this interface with religion? And the answer that I got immediately was, this is closer to you than religion. This is about who you be. And it's the who you be that you then choose to express through going through the doors of a, of, a, of a church, a cathedral, a mosque, a temple. Mm-hmm. So then the, the religion becomes an expression of you. But what we're talking about, the in service to love and connecting with our own divinity is the already I am of us. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Question number three. I know this mm-hmm. might be a stretch, but bear with me. If you were required... Mm-hmm every day for the rest of your life to wear a t-shirt with a slogan on it or a phrase or a saying or a quote or a quip, what would the shirt say? Love matters. Okay. Question number four, what book other than one of your own have you gifted or recommended most often? It would be Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Why that book? It was one of those books that I felt it before I even opened it. It, It's like as I looked at it and I still have it here. I have it here right beside me. It's like works of that nature. I recognize them immediately and I don't even have to open up the book. Wow. How did it come into your life? You know, it was so long ago. I think that I was at a bookstore, probably I was at a bookstore here in Seattle and I saw conversations with God and it just <laughs> called me. Yeah. Pulled me. It's pretty and amazing. I had to take it. That's great. Mm-hmm. What are you currently reading? I'm not. I haven't read a book since the accident. I don't have the ability to read. So, because my eyes don't follow anymore like that. So uh, it's all of all of my focus right now is on the work that I, that I do. I, I, I stopped reading actually other uh, or listening to podcasts or doing anything like that in 2015 when I was beginning to develop my own capacity Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be influenced by anybody or anything. And once I began writing in service to love, it became even more important. 
So yes, I have the, I don't have the capacity for reading a book right now, but that really has also been, has been on purpose, but there's so many, but I am listening to a lot more podcasts now and I, I love that. So that has only been an occurrence within the past two months. So, but it's not books. It's amazing how much is out there and how good a lot of it is. And the fact that it's free, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh, beautiful. It is so beautiful. So I feel a little bit like that groundhog, you know, that has been, (laughs) he kind of pokes his head, has been hidden away all winter. And then finally in the springtime, pokes his head up. It's like, "Mm, what's happening here now? And it's like, there is some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work that's out. And yours is included in that too. Brilliant. Thank you. you. That's kind of you to say. Okay. Question number five. I don't know. You mentioned you were in sales. I don't know if that sales involved a lot of travel. We talked about you going to France. Beyond that, I'm not sure whether you've been a a big traveler, but when you travel, however often it is, Mm -hmm. what's something you do or something you take with you to make your travel more enjoyable or less painful? Something you take or something you do in the planning or anything like that? Well, I would say what I bring with me are some shoes that I can walk in and be really comfortable. We've done some traveling to Europe, and that is just a beautiful place for for hiking and and walking and exploring because when I'm walking, I get to have a whole new experience of the environment. I really love and appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, question number six. What's one thing you've started or stopped doing in order to live or age well? I've stopped being unconscious about the food that I eat. What, What do you mean? Well, I'm, I, I'm crazy about sugar. I love sugar and that does not work with me very well at all. So I have backed away from sugar and I'm eating a more whole diet, probably even tending a little bit more towards vegetarian because it feels good for my body. So I, I pay more attention to the messages that my body's giving me. Yeah. And not only will you feel better, I suspect you'll live longer that way too. Well, I've sure, I've got a lot of work to do. I've, I've got books to write. I've got things to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got family to watch growing up. So I'm going to be here a long time. Question number seven. What's one thing you wish every American knew? I wish that every American knew that there's another perspective to be had, that the perspectives that we hold are declarative they create that reality, that the energy that is placed into being right is not, may not be the most creative use of energy. Instead, I would invite a consideration of what else is possible beyond being right. Because the, when we live in a realm of being right, we're in direct opposition with what's wrong. Mm. And what I'm suggesting is that life knows how to live that we all are here for a purpose, that we each have something great to bring to the table. When we can recognize our own intrinsic value, then we can realize that we have the opportunity to create our own perspectives. I choose to create a perspective that allows the best of me to show up. And I'm always living at the edge of that. And it changes every single day I live in the present moment the very best that I possibly can. I've got a, I've got a, a new relationship with the past and that I don't carry it with me anymore. 
to the best of my ability because I've already been contributed to by it. So as we release who we aren't, we release the weight of the past, we release the concerns of the future and realize that our intrinsic self has got this. We got this. We can do this. And this is why we came here. This is our challenge right now. And so realizing that a new perspective is available, we have to first ask what other perspective is available. I'm not going to say what other perspective is available for each person. That's for them to be able to discover. And I wouldn't even suggest something for somebody else because I want to honor their own beautiful process. But you start when you start asking the question, what is the highest perspective that I can hold in this? Where may the best of me show up in my life? I came here for a purpose. I asked for clarity on the purpose and the contribution that I am to the earth and to everybody around me. Mm-hmm. Those are the types of questions that I think can move us beyond the hamster wheel and the destruction of right and wrong into a realm that is driven more by possibility that aligns us with our own divine truth that is around unity. I love that. Well, thank you. Yes. Okay. Question number eight, what's the most important or useful thing you've ever learned about making relationships work? It's interesting. One of the early speaking about unspoken belief systems, I had one of the unspoken belief systems that developed very early for me was because I didn't see my level of sensitivity reflected back to me in my world was that I was wrong. Everybody else is right, but I'm wrong. And so I hid in my life. I spent most of my life hiding and being under the radar of my life. What do you mean? How would, give me an example how you would hide. I wouldn't challenge myself to be to be more. I would be, you know, I'm naturally very fluid and kind of I'm a great friend and I would be that. I'm really creative and I would explore those things, but I wouldn't have the courage to move into an arena where I was seen or where anything that I did could be criticized because my expression is too valuable for me and too deeply held that I didn't want to put it out under the scrutiny. And isn't it fascinating that I'm having a conversation with you about, about this, because this is a very public thing, Yeah. but this is, this really tells you that I've been able to get past the experience of hiding because if I'm hiding the gifts that I have never have an opportunity to be delivered. I must show up. Yeah. I must right. show up in my life. That, that sounds very deadening to, to live that way. Yeah. And it's like living with a, with a weight over me and a fear of being, fear of being seen. Yeah. So you might be saying this and I'm a little slow on the uptake, but is the thing that you've learned about making relationships work then to allow yourself to be yes, seen? To show up. Thank you for redirecting okay. me there. I needed that. It was a, it was a, uh, discovering then that I can be seen and that I have a lot to, I have a lot to give and that when I take responsibility for showing up, I'm a much better partner. It's fascinating. Yeah. My husband and I have been married now for 40 years wow. and there was a time in my, in my growth and awareness where I had to go to him and, and apologize. And you know, I really haven't been the best partner because I wasn't showing up in some areas, but guess what? I'm here. 
Yeah, you're doing something right, I think, right? And when I hear couples who've been married for decades like that, first of all, I want to congratulate you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and at the same time, I realize I think there are marriages that persist and are really rich and fulfilling. And then there are mm -hmm. other marriages that persist and both partners might be better if they didn't, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's not necessarily, I think, something to celebrate, just that people stay together for a long time, but there's something there, I would see. Yeah. So yeah. and at any rate, it sounds like with what you've been through, you know, your your accident and your spiritual journey that it sounds to me, I've never met him or learned much about him at all, but it sounds like he must be a pretty incredible guy. I Yes, he is. And it's interesting. I recognized him when I first saw him and I knew that he was my one. I knew really? that he was it. Mm -hmm. where, where were you? What, what happened? Well, he showed up in my office. He was, I was in, in sales in an insurance company in Seattle and he showed up at, at my desk, right across from my desk one day because one of the other people in the office was trying to set him up with me. He knew wow. that my husband had just been divorced. It's like, hey, we've got a single woman here in the, you know, come meet her. Anyway, he showed up at my desk. Wow. And you recognized him right then. I, was like, I recognized him. Boom. And I was intrigued. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's the beginning. Okay. And question number nine, aside from compound interest, what's the most important or useful thing you've ever learned about money or what's something you're always sure to do with it or you never do with it? It's fascinating. I participate actually would be the short answer in that because money and numbers is something that as I was growing up, I couldn't relate to. I didn't know how to, I, they, I didn't understand them. I guess I'm so nonlinear that the linear expression really would didn't compute to me. But I was always around people. My dad was a very successful businessman, and my husband is a very successful entrepreneur and businessman as well. And so, and my twin sister was a stockbroker. So I have this all around me, and I've been curious about it, and I keep on watching it. And I have grown in that myself. And so now what I, I don't mark that off the list as something that I don't do anymore. Wow. I learn and I participate and I see the creativity in it and I see the depth in it. And I see, I, it's like learn, me learning a whole new language. And I love that. Yeah, for sure. And of all the guests I've asked this question to, no one has ever said that. No one's ever said participate. What do you, and I love that, and I'm seeing something for myself in that, but what do you mean? How do you participate when it comes to money? Well, I don't leave all of the decisions to my husband. I mean, it's not that he ever excluded me. I excluded me. Mm -hmm. So I never, I feel like I didn't show up in those decisions. He would have an idea and he's, he's great because he yeah. thinks that way. It's like, yeah. yeah, yeah, what you said. But I didn't have something to add to the conversation. Now, as I've done a little bit more more research and I've removed these limitations that I had been holding, yeah. I have some ideas as well. And so we've been going by my ideas and I, I'm i showing up and I'm a better partner now because of it. Yeah, that's, that, there's something really beautiful about that. And I'm reminded of a couple things that some of my past guests have said, not specifically related to money, but your response is, is bringing this up for me. One was about one of my guests, a gentleman named Arkan Lushwala, who's a Peruvian healer, talks about when people say that they feel something is missing from their lives, what's missing is them. 
<laughs> and it's like, that's interesting. So when you talk about to show up, to participate, you know, and when, it, and it's not as though necessarily it's binary, like we're absent from our own lives or we're present in our own lives, but in different areas in this relationship, or when it comes to money or something and the opportunity that any one of those represents to be more fully ourselves, it's really, it's really beautiful. And you know, I think that part of the, the whole process of consciousness actually is about, in my experience, is about removing the natural proclivity for compartmentalization that we have in life. Yeah. And that's back to the thing you said earlier, right? About separation yes. and how that's the source of suffering, but it's pretty much always self-imposed. That's it. Right. Yeah. And interestingly enough, may also be self-healed. Yes. And I say healed as a, as a, as a description about the possibility of living from a space of wholeness, which is really where we, it's available right now. It's only where I have to place my awareness. Enlightenment is a place where I place my awareness, not something that is unreachable. It's available right now. I like that. Okay. So congratulations. You have survived the enlightening lightning round and you did it admirably. <laughs> the, Beautiful. Final, Beautiful. the final question here, it's a, it's a gimme, is about, and, and I do still have a few questions for you about creativity and writing, but sure. before we transition to that final question here, if people want to learn more from you, or they want to connect with you, what would you have them do? I would love if they would like some more information to move to, uh, to go to my website, which is DarleneGreenAuthor.com. Darlene is D-A-R-L-E-N-E, green, like the color, author.com. And I will have social media buttons there. And I do a blog and there'll be opportunities for conversations with me, with the Council of Light, and to be able to learn more. Awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as an attempt to express gratitude to you for making time to share with me your experience and what you've learned, I have made a micro loan to an entrepreneur in Timor-Leste named Maria, who will use this money to buy seeds and equipment to help grow her farming business to enhance the quality of life for her family and people in her community. So oh, thank you. Thank for, you so much. That you know, just... Uh, that just touches me deeply. Thank you for that beautiful contribution. And it's an expression of, of our global connection. Yeah, it is. It's and amazing. I will place love and energy towards Maria as well and support okay. her and her community. Well, thank and you. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. So turning to the final part of our conversation here, a few questions for you about the writing process and mm-hmm. I love what you say about, I never set out to write a book. The work came to me and asked to be written. Mm-hmm. So you've talked a little bit about that, but will you, will you say more? Yes. There's, there's two pieces to that. One is what I learned about my own creative process. And the other one is through the teachings of sitting down daily with the Council of Light, which often was like sitting like under the ancient olive trees listening to the masters. I was in school with masters every day. And so there's the part of writing and then there's the part of of what else that I learned about the connection of consciousness and innovation and original thought. So first of all, I'll go to the first part first. So my experience was one where I was being taught. Oftentimes, as I'm learning, many scribes or channels experience the information as just coming through them and what they do is they take dictation. Mm -hmm. Although that was my experience sometimes, 
I was asked to work for it and to participate. And what that looks like is when I would sit down and I would, you know, I, I would put on my music and I, you know, I might light a little incense and, and I'll just meditate a little bit. And then I realized that I didn't have to do that. I, the message that I got was, Darlene, we're here with you all the time. You can light as many candles as you want, but we're here whenever you're ready. So what I learned was, how, there's so much information that's coming in at this moment. I'm trying to, these threads, sometimes when the information comes in, it's a little bit like a fire hose, and that's a little bit what I'm experiencing at the moment. So my experience was not that that information was always coming to me and coming through my fingers like honey, which is what happened many times. But the messages were, come and meet us. And where and what I took that to mean was that I would go and meet the Council of Light in different frequency locations, which really was a way of teaching me how to fine-tune my awareness. There was always this invitation to Darlene, take your place at the table. Meet us eye to eye, divine to divine, and peer to peer. So there was this consistent, loving, honoring, reverent experience that I had was that was beloved. Remember who you are. And so on one hand, the words came out through my experience of being taught by the masters through these beautiful different messages and how these messages got to the keyboard from my awareness onto the keyboard. And then as the body of work expanded, I mean, I I didn't even realize it was going to be a book until maybe about six months through. But after the work had completed, and I still sit and write with the council almost on a daily basis now, But what has evolved is my awareness on creation and the creative process. That if you consider that that our greatest innovation, our greatest innovative capacity is available as we remove the limitations to our to our ability that is available always. So we if you hold that we already have that ability, then the question becomes, well, what gets in the way and what gets in the way often is our humanity. So what's what's shown to me, and this is a perspective shift here, so this is a bit of a bridge. So what's shown to me is a is a spectrum of light of perception, where we have our humanity, kind of like, and I see that as a dark, 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 dark blue, and as you, as you add more light, more light, which I equate to our divine nature, right? You And then you can move to the I am presence at the other end of that spectrum. So we have we have access to that whole spectrum right now. We don't have to die before we have access to that. It's all available right now to us. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's not like we're only limited to what occurs in the in the in the in the physical realms. We have access to all of the light realms. That when who we are is source and form, really what it's shown to me as is that was like a, the, the picture that I would get pictures and diagrams. So the picture that I got for this was our physical self is like a hand and a glove. And the gloved part is what is our physical self. But so much else resides of us that it resides in light. That that's already who we are. Mm-hmm. That is already in the library of who we are and available right now. 
So it just means then that instead of me looking only in my humanity for information and for inspiration, I can look into my divinity for inspiration right now. And it's only a perspective shift. So if you stand in that space, like if, can you can you visualize a spectrum, a line, a spectrum with our humanity and the density of our humanity, and as our the light of our divinity is added continually, then we move to the space of our divinity and our divine nature. If you stand at the space of your divine nature, you're in a space of wholeness, and you can see everything, and that's where your divine ability to to, to create can come. Also by raising your frequency, and you can raise your frequency consciously, raise your raise your frequency awareness above and above problems because issues and concerns cannot be solved within the frequency bandwidth of the problem. So the way I see that is that I can raise my frequency like a like periscope up above it like getting up on a ladder, and then all of a sudden you have a better perspective. And so this is a part of where creativity comes from. Creativity comes from a perspective. Mm-hmm. So that what gets in the way is the, is the thought that I don't have access to that right now. And what they're saying is that is, is the, is this is where original thought comes from. We all have the capacity for original thought. A lot of the ideas of in service to love are things that I have not seen or read before. But they're only slight shifts of that diamond. They're shifts of a, of a facet, subtle shifts that allow a new view to be had. Yeah. And it's like, it's like there's so much has been written on love, on enlightenment, and, and, and there's, there's, there's truth with all of it. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing that I'm, that I'm interested in is, you know, as I think about when I started this podcast and I knew... I knew I was fascinated by the creative process because it definitely seems like an opportunity for us to partner with something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, a collective consciousness, a collective unconsciousness, a higher power, our deepest self, whatever it is, who knows, right? Like you're saying, original right. thought and, you know, these things. And I didn't know much beyond, you know, the fact that I'm just mesmerized. Like I'm really fascinated by this and how. You know, like you're talking about, you would see things in terms of diagrams or you would, you know, have these impressions that you would then translate into English, right? And mm-hmm. and I think many people want to write books. Many people want to share their gifts with other people in some kind of physical form, you know, a blog, a podcast, a TED Talk, something like that. But not all of us follow that all the way through to actually publishing something. Mm-hmm. And And I think it's interesting how you describe that. It wasn't your intention. Like you didn't start with a book proposal. You didn't have a business plan, <laughs> right? It wasn't this. No. You just followed what life was showing you or offering you. You were participating in this process and it led to, you know, things. And you did show up. There was work, right? And you continued to, to show up and write. So where I'm going with all of this is I'm wondering if you will speak to that process of how did this become, and I don't know how many words this is. I would imagine you probably have counted now 200, 200,000 words, something like that now? 300. I think all three books are like 300,000, like 300,000 words. Wow. That's and then amazing. I edited it down. But through my own ability to be able to scribe, it's interesting that each book has gotten thinner and thinner. Yeah. I'm getting better and maybe perhaps maybe more direct. But I, I do have some ideas about how to be able to connect with your own creativity. Yeah. Will you t- will you talk about it? So I'm interested. Let's go there. 
Yeah. Tell me about that. How can we correct? Okay. How can we connect more fully with with our own creativity? First of all, I think that that's a great question to be able to ask, and consider that there's a difference between creating something out of the realm that you know. Like if you consider the realm that you already know about, there's a certain level of creativity that's available within that where basically the way I see it is that you're you're taking puzzle pieces and you're putting them in different places. That's one level of creativity. Uh But I am inviting a whole other level of creativity. And this is the creativity that taps into that unknown realm. And this is the realm where the greatest innovation and and original thought can be found. It's not found within the realm that you already know. So what do you do then? So consider holding an intention of moving your awareness to what you don't know. So what I experienced as that, and that was one of the first, I'd say after I started scribing, that is a concept that became really clear to me. And I experienced the realm that I know as a sphere around me. And I can go to the edge of that sphere. And I almost like I, I, I lean into it. And it almost feels like I'm inside a balloon. And I lean into the edge, the edge, the farthest edge of what I already know. And it almost feels like a membrane that's there. Mm-hmm. And I live on that edge of what I know and what I don't know. And that invites the unknown to be present. So in meditation, what that would look like, if you hold an intention, I hold an intention of allowing that which I don't know yet to arise within my awareness, what that can look like is, is do you see already, you see you've already made that switch. You're right over at that space right now. And don't you feel more open right now? Yeah. Don't you feel like you have, you are less confined? You feel like you're more expansive? Yeah. You have that sense? I, cause I'm up there with you. And so the way you can access that space. So first of all, by realizing that there's the realm that you know and the realm you don't know by walking, by living life from that edge, you're inviting in what you don't know. So in meditation, if you are looking more for that don't know, you can, a meditation that works for me is like I sit in my meditation at this very still, still lake and I ask a question, the answer that I, and it's an answer I don't have. And I allow that to rise up. I wait and wait and wait and I allow it to rise up like mist above the lake. But you see, as you begin to place your awareness, and it's fascinating how where we place our awareness is is declarative. That's the perspective that we hold. If I'm holding a perspective that I'm not creative, guess what? You're right. If I hold a perspective that I choose to tap into my greatest creative capacity in order to create the uh, and be the greatest contribution that I am, then I must move more to the nonlinear part of my awareness, understanding that I already own the full, the full spectrum of it, mm-hmm. right? Move to the greatest level of my, of my capacity. Move my awareness there. It's like going to the right cupboard to get the coffee cup. You just have to know where to look. Yeah. And you don't look where you already know. That's right. What a great, what a great description. So 
one thing that's come through again and again in this conversation is the, the power of intention. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And I'm also curious about how, again, this, you know, this book, so you, you know, you've shared with us recent years, you know, the recent, you've shared with us a part of your journey over recent years of your life and, and how you had this experience of participating with this, with the council of light and with the masters to be a channel for this work and to sit down and, you know, put your keys to your fingers to the keyboard. Tell us now, tell me now, if you will, what, what was the process like? I mean, how did this go from, I imagine you were writing in Microsoft Word, is that the, the tool you use? So how did this go from this daily process where you're kind of, you didn't use these words, but you know, going with a flow, <laughs> you're, you're allowing, accepting, participating. And then before you know it, you know, 300,000 words show up, they get edited, they get published. They get sent out into the world. What was the rest of that journey like? How did you connect with Waterside Productions? How did these books get edited? What was the team around it? Like, how did all of that happen? Everything about this whole process has been synchronistic. I didn't know anything about the publishing business. So when I realized that I, it was actually October of 2000, October of 2018, mm -hmm that I realized I needed to start taking a look and doing some research in the publishing era and the publishing realm is what I mean. Because by then you've got like 300 days of writing down. Yes, yes. Okay. And so at that time I was planning a trip to Arizona dealing with more of the accident issues. That was the purpose of the trip. But I knew that when I was going to this, going back to Arizona from Seattle here, that I needed to go to Sedona one day and I, I knew that something was going to happen in Sedona, but I didn't know what it was. But I had to be in Sedona because something was going to happen. So I went to Phoenix and I thought, well, this, this is another little fascinating, you know, field trip that I'm on with the Council of Light. Like, how exciting is this? So I talked to my friend and I said, could you come up to Sedona with me? She says, great. And long story short, I ended up having a conversation with a gentleman that day. His name is Frank Ferranti, and he had just written a book. And we had a conversation and a connection. And he gave me the name of his literary agent. Well, prior to this, I had been thinking just on this trip, I'm thinking about the publishing process. And I'm thinking, who on earth is going to be understanding this esoteric work? This is like, this is like, this is out there. But if anybody's going to understand it, you'll probably find him in Sedona. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> and so I thought the answer I got when I asked that question was whoever understands Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God and Eckhart Tolle Power of Now, they'll understand it. So yeah. I had that kind of as like an inner space when I went to Sedona. So when this gentleman Frank gave me the name of his literary agent, guess what? His literary agent, Bill Gladstone, was the literary agent for Eckhart Tolle and for Neil Donald Walsh. Wow. And so I was like, you know, I'm bug-eyed by the end of that day. I knew that that was the reason. And he lived in L.A. He was in sabbatical in Sedona. That was why I needed to go to Sedona. I needed wow. to have that conversation. Frank and did, you mean. Frank lived correct. in L.A., but he was, he was on. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So I did my research about how to become, you know, because I'm a good student. I did my research about how you put together a proposal. And I put together a 56-page submission. And then on June 5th of 2019, I got, I woke up and I got a red light, send it today. 
So I sent it to Bill Gladstone that day, and I got a telephone call back within 45 minutes. Holy cow. So that's how that happened. So the interesting thing is to think that you don't, when you're operating at a frequency and at a level where you are bringing your, your greatest self, that you aren't really limited by the, the, the density of your humanity, that there's a whole other process of you that is in creation yeah. of this whole yeah. process. So that's not something that happened to me. It was, it's like I'm in collaboration with this work and there's a whole lot more happening behind the scenes that I don't even see. Yeah. I just show up every day and I say, yes. And you, and you do your part. You do something and something. I happens. show up. When that call came in, what, what was that conversation like? Well, what I'll share is that he was still printing it out. He, Bill Gladstone was still printing out the proposal. And he says, Darlene, he said, it's like the Tom Cruise movie. You had me at hello. Wow. That's pretty awesome. And then I saw that he's one of the largest publishers in North America. And had I done my research and checked that part out before, I'm not sure if I would have had the audacity to be able to (laughs) even send that to him, but I did. And that's how it worked out. So what I'm saying about that and how that relates to other people is to consider that that that's not a one-off for me, that we each have a cadence in our life that is in alignment with our own divine and natural knowing. When I say divine knowing, I'm also talking about a natural knowing. This is nothing that's outside of us. The experience of enlightenment is me feeling more and more and more like me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's that's fun. And and just what was Frank when you when you bumped into Frank in Sedona, what where were you? Were you in a coffee shop or some kind of a workshop yeah. or a gas station or what? Well, I had been walking around Sedona, looking around every corner, and I don't know what I was looking for. Like I was whether I was looking for like a you know a spaceship to land, or <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know what was going to be happening. But I was looking around every corner, like what's going to happen next? Uh, I'm looking for something, and it was by the end of the day, it's like, oh, nothing happened. Oh well, I don't know. Let's go get a cup of tea. So four o'clock in the afternoon, too late for lunch, too early for dinner. And we went to this little vegan cafe that is just delightful. And it was my friend and myself. And there was a table with three people clearly, you know, on their computers, on their phones, doing work. And as I walked into that patio, my internal message was, you're going to be having a conversation with him. And I'm thinking, I wonder how that's going to happen. (laughs) Anyway, there was just a, you know, a quirky little thing, a sound of a car going by that was like bizarre. And then he came over and started speaking to us. Wow. He initiated the, yeah. the conversation. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. And you got, you got talking and wow, that's really, that's really great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I know, you know, with this part of the interview, one of my aims is both to you know, provide inspiration to people who are working on their own published work, but also practical, you know, ideas or actions, you know, that they can apply to help complete their work and get it out into the world. And, you know, I've talked to a few authors now who say something like what you're saying about, it just kind of (laughs) happened. It wasn't, it wasn't ever my design, but I, I followed along and took the next step and, and it occurred. So in some ways, I think your story, I don't, I don't mean this in any kind of a disparaging way, but in some way it's almost not helpful to people because it's like, oh, what do I do? I just live from my essence. I just trust in the universe or synchronicity. But then from another perspective, it's like, yeah, that's exactly it. You show up at your desk, you write what there is, you know, living at the edge of the known and the unknown, having an intention, 
right? And then being open, taking action when you're prompted to do so. And it's like, that's for me, the bigger lesson. It's not as tactical is, Hey, just sit down at 9am every day with your coffee and write 500 words and then prepare your proposal and send it out to 40 publishers. It's sometimes it's that linear, but sometimes it's not. But you see, for some people that may work. Yeah. But you see, for other people, see, there's more detail also to the creativity. There's so much more that is written about actually about the creative process. And actually, yeah. there's a, a gentleman that I know that is reads my work before he sits down and writes his book. Wow. And it talks about it, it talks about the capacity to move to a state of stillness. Mm. And sometimes, you know, for some people, it may be sitting down and and writing 500 words a day. Mm-hmm. For me, that's not it. If I can't reach a space of mental stillness, I shouldn't be at my keyboard. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way that my best work arises is if I have the ability to be able to be still. So I have to be mentally still and emotionally still. And if I come into my office here and I'm not there, I'm thinking about all sorts of other things, I have to get up and leave and I go and I do errands, I mow the lawn, I do laundry, I take the dog for a walk until I have a sense of stillness that is back. Because if I already have an internal agenda that's going on, there's no space to receive. Yeah. So I, I think that the whole process to be able to kind of create a bridge between what I'm saying and what other people can do is to begin to be become aware of what your own process is. What is the process that honors who you are? You already have clues to how it is you do your best work. You yeah. know, when I take a look at, you know, famous musicians, the one that comes to me right now is Santana. You watch Santana playing. He he is transported. Yeah. The, he, the music go, flows through him. He doesn't interpret it. He doesn't play notes on a sheet. He becomes the music. So what I was saying is that when you take a look at the creative process of musicians, for example, and I say musicians because I'm not in front of an artist when they're creating, right? Mm-hmm. But when I'm, but I can see a musician and I can feel that they are no longer present, yeah. that they go somewhere, yeah. that the, they become the music that they are playing. And I've always said, I want that. I want that. And so each one of us has a that. Yeah. And but it requires this inner level of awareness of beginning to discern where is it that my heart moves into this timeless, formless place and then begin to develop an adeptness at going there. For me, that requires a space of stillness for me to be able to be open to receive for somebody else that may be you know they'll have their own beautiful process so by me communicating how this creative process works for me i'm not wanting to alienate people because i understand that my experience is really well it's uniquely it's unique for me but but the message here is that each one of us has that capacity to move to that to our own expression, our own most authentic expression, and get information there and bring it into this world. 
but it's perspective. And the thing is, you don't have to work for it. You already are it. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I love, again, this part of what I find so fascinating about creativity is how very often it is this sense of allowing something and participating with something in the sense of when we disappear, you know, I think about, I had as a guest, Mark Nepo, author of the book of awakening. And he said something so beautiful about, he said when he was younger, he wanted to write great poetry. And now that he's older, he wants to be the poem, <laughs> you know, kind of like you're saying, you know, That's and it. it's, yeah, exactly. It. And, and, and also what That's you're saying it. about how each of us gets to find our own way. And for you, it's stillness. And mm -hmm. I'm reminded of, you know, what Stephen King wrote in his memoir on writing, his writing memoir, where he would talk about how his writing process involved playing heavy metal music at very high volume. Like, and it's like, you look at his work, that doesn't surprise me, you know, or others. I think about, you know, the best-selling author, Ryan Holiday, he'll talk about a, like a key part for him of stimulating his creative process is going for a run. And he'll, he said, he talks about how very often he'll come in the door and he'll say, nobody say anything because <laughs> he's got to capture the thoughts before they escape. But, you know, for these people, it's either not stillness in the sense of quiet, right? Or it's not stillness in the sense of sitting there, but in moving, but we all have our own way and part of the challenge, but also the joy, I think, of the creative process is getting, is learning ourselves, right? I would agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, and, 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 and there's a, there's a belief system that's underneath that, that says that, yes, you have the capacity to be an extraordinary contribution that what, what each one of us has to offer yeah. that this world needs. Yeah, that's right. This world needs e the, the best of each one of us. Yeah. Which makes sense when we believe yes. our, that we are all part of something bigger than ourselves and not these individual bubbles of consciousness or, you know, here's my property line and here's my body and who I am. I'm over here. You just stay over there. Right. So that right. unity that you've, you've talked about and pointed to. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, Darlene, this has been, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'll say, I'll say that. And before we conclude, I'll just ask you this. What, what either haven't we talked about that you want to talk about or, and, or what would you say as maybe a final thought or encouragement for anybody listening to this, who's working both to become more fully who they are, but also mm -hmm. to share their gifts in the world, whether it's through writing, you know, as you, as you do, or in whatever way you know, they, they feel called to do. What I would say is to trust that you have the capacity to be able to be your best, that the world that we are in right now asks the best of us to show up. Yeah. That, oh, again, this is the fire hose that's coming in. So much is coming in right now. It's as though as we're speaking here, right now, brilliant, I can feel the audience and I can feel the sense of, well, how great for you, but look at the reality right now. Yeah. And there's not a match. And my message about that is even more so that the time that we're in right now, I see as, as an earthquake that needs to happen. I see this as a paradigm shift that moves us to something greater. Even I see value in the polarization. If you can be in the realm that we're in right now, but not be of it, 
Look, begin to look internally instead of being referenced externally. As you begin to take a look internally, because our external world is changing all the time, our internal world is one that is constant. Even as we evolve, it's a, there's a constant that's there. Begin to become internally referenced and find your own space. Know that you don't have to be living in the in the chaos of what is, that I see that the contribution that each one of us has to bring right now to to all of the conditions right now, to to the political, to the humanitarian, to to all you know the pandemic crisis, all of these. I see that what I can what I can bring is by holding the vision of our wholeness, by me taking the responsibility for me to be all of who it is that I am, and who it is that I am is love. Who it is that we each are is love. As we come, become more and more of who it is that we are, the, pre- the presence of love on the planet expands. And I believe that is a part of the purpose of this whole process right now, is the, is the invitation for each one of us to become the expression of love that we authentically are. And each one of us, I, I, I feel this, this, like this awe of the beauty of each person that is listening to this podcast. And I'm just wanting to say, beloved, remember who you are. Well, thank you for that. And thank you again for making time to share so generously of your experience and what you've learned. As I said, I've, I've greatly enjoyed this conversation and I think those who listen, I hope they will as well. At least I'll say that. Well, I, I, am, I am wanting to hope, thank you very much for this. I've absolutely loved our conversation together and it's been a privilege and an honor to be able to do that and I intend for this to be a gift. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, jobs we hate, relationships that don't work, or people in the developing world who don't have access to clean water or sanitation or healthcare or education or who live in conflict zones. There's a lot of people on the planet that life isn't working very well for. If you're one of those people, I invite you to connect with me at goodliving.com. I've created Life's Best Practices Breakthrough Coaching to help you navigate the transitions that we all go through. Whether you've just graduated school, you're going through a divorce, you just got married, you're headed into retirement, you're starting a business, you just lost your job, whatever it is you're facing, I've developed a 36-week course that you go through with me and a community of achievers and seekers who are committed to improving their own lives and the lives of others. So through this online program, you will have the opportunity to go deep into every area of your life, explore life's big questions, create answers for yourself in community get clarity and accountability. If that's something you're interested to learn about, I invite you to contact me directly at brian at brianmiller.com or by visiting goodliving.com.